trying to sneak up on him. Hey, it is good to be here. I spent the last week, I was at a Vineyard Worship Leaders Retreat in, uh, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And it's a thing I do every year, and it's one, one of my uh, favorite things that I'm a, I'm a part of. And it's always a time where I come back feeling really rejuvenated and, and get around other people who are doing similar things to what I do. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed is any time that I travel away from my family, my, my wife and my little girl, Olive, uh, I, get, I get really anxious. And there's a lot of anxiety about whether or not something's going to go wrong. Like if, if you know, something horrible is going to happen or, or you know, whatever. But I, I feel a lot of anxiety when I travel. And, and one of the things I've, I've started to notice about myself is that I have just like a little bit of a control problem. <laughs> like I like to be able to control situations. Like if something's going wrong, I think if I'm there, I could do something about it. Um, and so one of the things that I've been noticing is when Olive, she just started kindergarten, and that is kind of bringing up issues of control. Like she's off somewhere else now. She's you know, under someone else's supervision all day. And, and this new thing that they have at school is I can download an app, and her teacher can tell me how Olive is doing throughout the day. So some of you parents, you might be aware of this. This is, I, this is awesome. It'll, I'll get these little notifications that'll say, you know, Olive was ready to learn, or Olive, you know, was a good listener today. And, and occasionally I'll get the ones that say, you know, Olive was talking while the teacher was talking. Um, but I just got one, uh, a notification that said, Olive was harming others. And so I wrote the teacher and said, hey, can you, can you give me a little bit more information about, uh, you know, what happened? And the teacher said, you know, I wasn't there. Uh, it was at recess, um, but Olive punched a crying boy. And I thought, wait, did you, did you get the order of that right? And I said, is that... She punched a crying boy, and she said, yes. And I was like, is that, is that in the right order? And she said, yeah, it is in the right order. So I was like, this is crazy. What the hell? Like, why would she, why would she punch a crying boy? Like, that just is, doesn't make any sense. So, like, I sit down with Olive, and I'm like, hey, what, like, what the heck happened? Like, wh- why did you punch a little boy who's crying? And she said, well, me and my friend were playing, and this other little boy came over and attacked my friend. And he didn't. He was just roughhousing with him. So she felt this, you know, justice rise up in her and, you know, tried to defend her friend. Teacher comes and breaks it up, and the little boy starts crying. And Olive thinks, this is my chance. And just, like, lays, like, lays into him and punches him in the face. And so, you know, I, and we're working with her on that, that you can't punch. But, like, it all came from a sense of justice, uh, But I realized how much of my identity, how much of of who I am comes from how people see me as a parent with Olive. And I was concerned with Olive punching, but actually, to be honest with you, I was probably more concerned about what her teacher thought of me as a parent. 
And I realized how much of my identity I was placing in, and, and my, parent, my parenting ability. And, and the reason I'm telling you guys this is because today as we look at our, our series on Redefined, Jesus is going to be talking about where we find our identity. Like where are those places that, that we uh, place our hope? Where are the places that we look to to give us significance? And Jesus is going to address the places that we should and the places that we should not. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, is uh, probably the most famous sermon ever given, where Jesus gets his disciples, gets his followers, and says, you know, you, you, you've heard it was said that this is the way that you're supposed to live. Or you've heard it said that this is the way the world is. But I say it's like this. And he really redefines things for, for his followers. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19 through 24. And, and also, as, as it was mentioned earlier, we're also going to be doing baptisms a little later. So we're going to be talking a little bit about baptisms as well. And so why don't we just pray, and, and, and while we do that, if you need a Bible, there's some on the, the sound booth and on the stage, but you can open up to Matthew. We'll also have it on the screens. But why don't we pray? So Jesus, we just invite you here. We just ask that you would be with us, that you would speak to us, and we just thank you, Lord, that you meet with us, that you're not far away, but you are here. So we just ask you to come have your way. In your name, amen. All right, so starting in verse 19, Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's really, he's really kind of saying two things in this text. He's really trying to get across these two big ideas. And the first one is the idea of what are the things that we are living for? Like, what is your goal in life? And, and Jesus puts it in this way. He says, what do you treasure? So he's asking his followers, and I believe he's asking us today, what is it that you treasure? What is the thing that your heart is drawn to? What is, the, what is the thing that you, you dream about or the, the thing that, that, like we said earlier, the thing that gives you identity or you think will give you identity or purpose or security? 
Ultimately, what Jesus is asking is, what is it that you worship? What is it that you worship? See, the thing that we did here this morning, where we sing the songs about God, that is an act of worship. But it's only, it's only a little fraction of what it is to truly worship. Worship is, 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 is whatever you place your hope in. Like if you said that someone, you know, worships money, it would mean that they, they are drawn to money, that they love money, that that is their, their, the thing that they think is going to complete them in life. So when we say we worship God, it's saying he is the one that completes us. He is the one that gives us purpose. He is the one that we hope for. He is the one that we should treasure. And so Jesus proposes the question, what is it that we truly treasure? And he says we have two options of what we can treasure. He says there's only two two things that we can treasure. We can treasure earthly things. We can treasure the things of this world or we can treasure heavenly things. He says our treasures can be something that's from this earth, that's temporal, that has has an expiration date. Or we can treasure the eternal. And I think this is a very, like, fundamental and foundational thing that we need to settle in our lives as Christians is where do we put our hope? What is the thing that we treasure? And I I don't know, um, I can speak for myself, but I so often put my hope in the things of this world. I so often look at things that are earthly and, and, and try to draw identity out of those things or, or purpose out of those things. And I suspect, in fact, I'm positive that you do as well, that we all look to things of this world to, to tell us who we are and to, to give us purpose. Maybe, maybe for you it is wealth or money. This is kind of what Jesus was, was, was talking about, where he said you can't serve both God and money. And, and maybe you look to money as, as the thing that gives you significance or security. Or maybe it's, it's like the, the pursuit of money. Maybe you don't have quite enough, but you think, if I had more, then I would be okay. Like if my bank account had like another digit then things would be all right. And then my, my, I, I would feel okay about my life. Or maybe it's your career. Maybe you feel like your career is the thing that gives you significance. And, 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 and you know, you, you're striving for that corner office and you're, you're climbing the ladder and, and, and you think, man, the thing that's gonna make me, my life have meaning is my occupation. Right? It's the things that I do. Maybe for some of you, it's health and fitness. That's the thing that you value more than anything. Maybe for some of you, it's like what I was talking about earlier. It's, it's, it's family. It's, it's your, your being a parent. 
or marriage, or, or maybe you're single and it's like, if I just had a spouse, then I would, then I would matter. Then my life would be complete if I just had a spouse. And see, none of those things are, are bad in and of themselves, and they're, they're not even bad to want those things or to desire those things or to value those things. But the problem is, is when we value them above God. And the issue is, is when we put those things um, on a pedestal and think they will give our life meaning or they will give us significance. When we say, if I only had blank, well, then I'd be okay. Or then I'd be uh, you know, happy or significant. And the hard thing is, is our culture completely uh, bombards us with a message that this is, this is a reality. And so, so we tell our kids um, in high school that your career is going to give you significance. And we put all of this pressure on teenagers to find the job that's going to make them feel, you know, uh, complete and make them feel, you know, happy and all of this pressure on them. And no wonder anxiety levels in teenagers are like skyrocketing because we're asking them to find life, put their treasure in something that was never supposed to, to give them life. We were created for occupation. We were created to work and to do and to labor with God, but it was never supposed to give us significance. God is the one that gives us significance. And our culture and, and literature and, and, and film and music tells us that, you know, our relationship like the person that we love, that's what gives us identity or purpose or significance. Like that's where you should put your heart. And so we watch these movies that say things like, you complete me. And we think that's good. But think about what that's saying. It's saying I am incomplete without this other person. I don't have value. I'm not a whole person without that person. That's called codependency, and that is not from God. God says you do not draw your identity from the person that you're with. And this is, this is a, a, another sermon for another day, but our culture tells us that we find our identity and who we're attracted to, you know, who we want to be in a relationship with, and that is not the truth. We do not find our identity in those things. We find our identity in God. Because Jesus says the problem with putting your hope, the, the problem with putting your treasure, putting your desire, trying to find life in any of those things is not that they're bad things. It's just that they're temporal things. They don't last forever. In the text, he says, you know, a, a thief could come and steal them, or, or moths and vermin will destroy them. And essentially, what he is saying is the best things in life will not last forever. 
I heard someone say actually this week that you never see a hearse with a U-Haul attached to it because you can't take your stuff with you. That ultimately, everything that you own, everything that you have, everything that the world tells us this is what you find your identity in, all of that stuff will fade away. And it doesn't mean we can't enjoy those things. It doesn't mean we can't, you know, value them. But we can't find our identity in them because they will not last forever. And we need to put our identity in something that is solid, that will last forever. And they were never designed to give us meaning. They weren't created to give us life. We, we have so often put our hope in the created and not the creator. And I know, so for me, every morning, I have to spend time with Jesus to, for him to tell me you know, what my identity is and that he loves me and that I, I'm okay and remind me of all those things, that, of who he is and how he sees me. And I don't do that every morning because I'm super holy. I do that every morning because I am super broken. It's true. If I don't spend time with Jesus every morning, I will go to my wife to give me identity. I will go to her and like, can you tell me that I'm a good husband and I'm a good dad and that I'm doing a good job in life? And I drive her crazy. <laughs> And I'm trying to, you know, suck something out of her that she wasn't created to give me. Or I go to my daughter and I put these unfair expectations on a six-year-old to give me identity. Or I turn to you guys, or I turn to my, my job, or I turn to my bank account, or I turn to my savings, or whatever it is. And I think those things are going to complete me. Those things are going to give me security. That's how broken I am. And if I don't go to Jesus every morning, then I will, I will just try to suck the life out of everything around me. This is why God says, put your treasure in heaven. That's where your heart needs to go. Because these things are temporal and they were never designed to give us life. Put your treasure in God because he is everlasting. He doesn't change. He is safe. He is a safe place for us. I love Hebrews chapter 13. The author says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we can exhale because that's safety. That's a place that we can find identity because he never changes and he doesn't shift and he doesn't walk out on us and he doesn't leave us and he doesn't judge. He, he loves. We go to God to inform who we are. We place our hope in the eternal truths of Jesus. And the eternal truths are God loves you. He made you. If we want to know who we are, if we want to find our identity, we go to the one who made us. Because he knows. He loves you. He saves you. He knows you. He wants to be known by you. 
He wants to have a relationship with you that is so deep, that is, has, has radically changed you, that, that you can say things like, man, I could have all the money in the world or no money at all, and I would be okay because I have Jesus. Or I could you know, be married with you know, 3.2 kids, or I could be you know, single, and I would be okay because I have Jesus. Or I could be really healthy, or I could be really sick, but I have Jesus. This is why Paul was able to say, like, I've, I've learned the secret to be content in all things. I've had a lot, I've had a little, I've been beaten, I've been thrown in jail, I've been shipwrecked. He goes through this long list of hardships and, and successes and all these things, and he says, I've learned to be content in all things. And it's fixing our eyes on the eternal and not on the things that shift and change. That is the key to happiness. That doesn't mean we don't mourn and and when we lose some of those other things, we don't grieve them. But we can have peace and hope and security and identity when when those things are placed in God instead of the things here on earth. I could have everything or nothing, but I have you, Jesus, so I have it all. Could we say that? The second thing that Jesus is trying to get across here, he's asking the question, who is your master? The first question is, you know, where is your heart? What do you desire? what, What is your passion? And the second question is, who is your master? What is it or who is it that dictates the way that you live? Who gets the final say in the decisions you make? Who gets to say what is right and what is wrong? Jesus says, you can't have two masters. He uses the example, you can't serve both God and money. But he could have said, you can't serve God and other people's approval. Or you can't serve God and comfort, or God and yourself. And typically, the the two realities of where we put our heart, like what we worship, it really informs what dictates the way we live, right? What, what we worship often informs who our master is. If we say that someone worships money, if they desire money more than, than anything, typically money is the master of their life too. The pursuit of money will dictate the, the decisions that they make. But Jesus says you can't do that. You can't serve two masters. And I know so often in my life, I will come to church and I will worship and I'll say these things like, God, you're you're amazing. You're the king. You're the creator. You're all of these things. And then I'll just go live my life according to what I think is right. And I become my own master. And Jesus is saying you cannot do that. You cannot worship me and worship other things. You can't have, you know, me as the master and other things. 
that we can only have one master. And if you are here this weekend for the gospel of wholeness, my dad would refer to some of these things that we're talking about as empty wells, right? They're, They're these wells that we go to to get water out of them. And we want water to give us life or security or hope or peace. And there may be a little bit of water in there, but soon the water dries up. And we keep on going to that well, thinking that something will will change and we'll, we'll get some water out of it. But it's broken and can't hold water. And those are those earthly things. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the, the stream of living water that never runs dry. And come to me and drink, and I will give you life. And so I think there's a challenge for us today. And the challenge is, where, where do we find our identity? Where is it that we are storing our treasures? Where are the things that we are putting our hope in? And what is the thing in our life that ultimately says, uh, you know, what's right and what's wrong? And gets to, to dictate the decisions we make. Is it things of this world or is it the king? Is it King Jesus? And this is important, and and this, I believe, actually has everything to do with what we're going to be doing a little bit later. I think baptism has everything to do with this. The folks who are getting baptized uh, this morning, essentially what they are saying is, I lay down all my earthly treasures. I'm giving all my earthly treasures to you, God, and I'm putting my hope in you. And no longer am I the master of my life. No longer are the things of this world dictating the way I live, but you are the master. You are the king. You are the boss. And so we celebrate with them as they they make that uh, declaration today. But I want to encourage you guys as well that as they get baptized, that you would say the same thing. That you would say yes to Jesus today. That you would say, not only did I say yes, you know, 15 years ago or, or you know, whatever, when I said yes to you the first time, but I say yes to you again today. And I continue to put my hope in you and I continue to, to say that you are master. And so as we baptize these folks, that would, that would be stirring inside of you. And I, and I just want to take a moment to kind of go through a few different ideas about baptism. We're going to shift gears a little bit. And if you're new here, uh, you may think baptism feels weird. And maybe, maybe you're not new, but you still think baptism is weird. But let me just say that you are right. <laughs> baptism is weird. It's strange, but it, it, is, it, is a, it is a ritual, it is a sacred uh, ritual that we have as believers in Jesus, and, and it is weird, but I like to think about it like this. If you went to a wedding in a different culture, like um, I had an opportunity a few years back to go to an Indi- Indian wedding, 
And there were lots of things in the wedding that I thought were strange. I didn't understand them because they weren't part of my culture, but they were beautiful. They, they, they were beautiful, and it's similar to baptism. Baptism is strange, but it, it, it's a, when you understand the meaning behind it, it becomes beautiful. And so the meaning behind it is this. Baptism is a symbol. Baptism symbolizes something. It is an outward expression of an inward reality. And what it symbolizes is the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are now taking as our own. That just as Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the earth, and rose from the dead, Jesus says that we do the same thing in our baptism. We, we die as we go under the water. We, we don't physically die, but it's a symbol. We, we die to our old way of living. We die to those old treasures, our old masters, our sin, the things of the world, and we come up a new creation. And it symbolizes that. Romans chapter 6 says, If we have been united with him in his death like his on the cross we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And baptism symbolizes like that. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony where on the cross, Jesus made his vows. That I will love you, I will forgive you. And in the baptismal tank, we get to make our vows. And say, and I will follow you. So it's a symbol The second thing is baptism is really important to Jesus. Baptism is important to Jesus. Jesus was baptized. His his ministry didn't start until he was baptized, actually. And actually, the last thing, the very last thing Jesus said to his followers before ascending into heaven was this. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's so important to get baptized that the very last thing I'm going to tell you guys is to go and make disciples, followers, and the first thing you need to do with them is baptize them. Like he doesn't say go and, and, and make disciples and get them plugged into a church or go and make disciples and make sure you give them a copy of the King James Bible or go and make disciples and get them plugged into a small group. All those things can be good things. But he says, the, most, the first thing I want you to do is baptize them. Go and make disciples and baptize them. It doesn't seem like it's optional. It seems like it's just part of the whole thing. Which leads me to, to the number three thing. Uh, ba- you do not have to be saved to be baptized. I said that backwards. You do not have to be baptized to be saved. That's an important distinction, actually. It means two different things. Let me say it again, just so we're clear. You do not have to be baptized to be saved. Here's what I mean. I think uh, when we say yes to Jesus, Scripture says we need to get baptized. But it doesn't mean that if you're not baptized, you aren't saved. Um, remember, it's a symbol. It's symbolic of an inward reality. I like to describe it as a wedding ring. 
I wear this wedding ring so I can let people know that I'm committed to my wife. And so, so all the women won't start hitting on me and stuff, which typically would happen if I didn't have this ring on. Um, but I could take this ring off, right? Set it right here, and I am still committed to my wife. My ring is not the thing that, that makes me married. I am married, and so I wear a wedding ring. So do you have to wear a wedding ring to, to be married? Well, no. But if I didn't, my wife might be like, well, why don't you want to wear the ring? So we understand that the thing that saves us is not an action. We are saved by grace alone and faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. So baptism is not what saves you. In fact, you may know the story of when Jesus was crucified. He was crucified along with two other people. There was a thief right next to him who cried out to him and, and, and recognized him as the Messiah and just said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Crying out to him. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, sorry, bud. We don't have time to get you baptized. No. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Baptism is not what saves you. It is a symbol of what happened between you and Jesus. But it's super important. So I'll say this, kind of wrapping up. You do have to be baptized if you want to be obedient. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but you do have to be baptized to be obedient, and there's a, a, a big difference. Again, all that we have to do to be saved is to, to accept Jesus' free gift of salvation. But if we want to be obedient, well, that's a different matter. Like if someone came to me and said, hey, Jay, do you have to take care of the poor to be a Christian? I'd say, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because yes and no. Like not to be saved. You don't have to take care of the poor to be saved. But if you want to do the things that Jesus has called us to do, then yeah. To be obedient, you need to take care of the poor. And baptism isn't just a random thing that Jesus talked about one time. Uh, we see on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. A few chapters later, Philip leads this eunuch to Christ. And the eunuch asked, you know, what, what do they need to do now? And, and Philip says, hey, let's go find some water and get you baptized. And, 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 and Paul challenges people to remember their baptism. He says that when you were baptized... Not like if you were baptized. He says, now when you were baptized, the assumption that Paul had was that as believers, we would be baptized. And so scripture leads me to believe that baptism is, is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for obedience. And so let me ask you this today. Where is it that you put your treasure? What is the thing that your heart is drawn to, that you're looking to, to give you identity? And who is your master? 
Who is the one that you say, you are the boss, you are the Lord of my life? And what's holding you back from publicly telling people it is Jesus? See, I believe there are folks here today who have said yes to Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus, but you have never been baptized. And I want to give you an opportunity. As we, as we call these other folks up to get baptized, I want to give you an opportunity to get baptized as well. Acts chapter 22 says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Washing your sins away, calling on his name. And you may be thinking, I'd love to get baptized, but I mean, I don't want to be soaking wet in my clothes all day. Well, you are in luck. We have like some nice, beautiful pairs of sweats in the back, all different sizes. Um, and I just want to encourage you that if you have said yes to Jesus, but you've never been baptized, what are you waiting for? That you can say yes to Jesus today and say, you have my yes, you are my master. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite a couple people up here. We have two people getting baptized this service. But I believe there's some other people as well. So I'm going to invite up Jeff Cummings. You want to come up to the front? 